All right. Well, today we are continuing our study through the book of Deuteronomy. It's God's Word, too. And I thought that I would start off to today officially in Deuteronomy just, just with a simple story. I uh, was taking the boys to school last uh, Friday, and as we were at the intersection, a car was in front of us, and I looked over to my left, and there was this big Coca-Cola truck coming, and was turning in to the street that we were on, and I looked up, and the, the back compartment, one of the doors was just open probably about that much. And about that time, I look over and I see a bottle come rolling out of that Coke truck. And it was yellow, so I'm like, well, what is a bottle rolled out of that Coke truck? And it rolled up under the car in front of us and rolled around up, up under our car and rolled around at least to the passenger side. And I stopped for a minute and I said, Logan, grab that drink. He said, What? <laughs> Grab that drink. And he reached over, didn't even get out of the car, didn't even get out, reached over and pulled it in. And it was a two liter of pineapple Fanta. And being a preacher, being a pastor, I automatically said to myself, there is a sermon illustration in there somewhere. Well, first I had to face the ethical dilemma. Should I turn around and chase the Coke truck? <laughs> you know, was that considered stealing from the Coke truck? And I thought to myself, as we are working through Deuteronomy, I thought to myself, the people of Israel received manna from heaven, and we received Fanta from the Coke truck. That being said, Deuteronomy chapter 1, I'll ask you if you'll have your Bible turned there. We'll continue our, our journey uh, through the book together. A sermon I've entitled, Remembering a Promise. Remembering a Promise. And I will tell you this at the onset, and I remember growing up in a, in a, a holiness church, and a pastor would always say, uh, people will break their promises to you, but God is always faithful to His promises. Do you believe that? Men and women alike will break their promises to you, but God's promises and God's covenant is everlasting and true. I hope that as we travel through this book that you will be rejuvenated by the promises that God has given to us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what we want to find in the book of Deuteronomy. We want to see the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ, the foreshadowing of the Messiah to come through this Old Testament book. I want you, if you will, to stand with me as we hear the words of the prophet Moses to the assembly at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. If you will, let's stand together. Deuteronomy chapter 1. We'll begin with verse 1 and work our way through Verse 8, these are the words that Moses spoke to all of Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. In Arabah, opposite of Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Leban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. In 
It is 11 days' journey from Horeb, by the way of Mount Seir, to Kadesh Barnea. In the 14th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord has commanded him in, command, in commandment to them. He said in verse 4, After he had defeated Siphon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbah, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and in Edirai, beyond the Jordan and the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed here long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey, and go to the hill country of the Amorites, and to all the neighbors in, uh, in the plains or Arabi, in the hill country, and in the lowland, and in the Geb, and by the seacoast, in the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the word of God, and you may be seated. So as you recall, this is Moses addressing the people on Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, and he is addressing a new generation, a new generation who had not yet heard or seen in a public way and demonstration a reiteration of the promises of God. This is a new generation. Some were probably too young or had not been born yet. And it was time for the Hebrew people to draw near to the promised land. If you recall, this is a land that God had promised to them as a land that was filled with milk and honey. In other words, a land that they would have all they would need to survive if they would just simply go in and claim it. And God was mobilizing His people to go in and to possess it. But I believe the bigger question is why? Why was God moving His people out of bondage? Why was God moving His people through the wilderness? Why was God moving His people to a covenant, a reminder of the covenant, to a promised land? It is because He made the covenant to them and He was going to fulfill that promise. See, the first time that we hear this promise of a promised land is all the way back in Exodus chapter 3. If you recall, the episode was with Moses at the burning bush. Moses, take off your feet, for the place you stand is holy ground. Take your sandals off. Take your shoes off. Take your sandals off. What did I say? Take your feet off? That too. It's so holy you need to take your feet off. And he said... I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good broad land that is flowing with milk and honey to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, all the sites and all the ites there. Basically, this is, a, this, is a, this is a people, and there's a lot of them, that is in this land, 
Moses, you might not know it yet. You may, you may not. But this is a land of people who would rather cut your throat than to make peace with you. By the way, this is the land I'm going to give to you. This is what I'm going to give to you. Here is a projected recap just of where where the uh, Hebrew people had come from and where they are going. This happens to be an 11-day trip towards uh, Kadesh Barnea, if you will. There should be a map. Here you go. I don't know if you can see all the details and the ins and outs of that. But uh, you will notice that they would leave from, uh, from Egypt and they would cross over towards the, the Red Sea. And they would make their journey. And you'll notice uh, right up in here towards uh, Cana, which is not listed on the map, there should be a big circle right there. And that is in that circle. You'll see a little loop right here. And in that loop, they went round and round and round for 40 years in in the wilderness. So you see where they come from and where God is going to bring them to. There's just a little map just to bring us up to speed as to where they left Egypt and where they're heading. And this big old loop right in here is where they would have circled around and around and they find themselves close to where God originally gave them the commandments on Mount Sinai. They find themselves in the the Mount of Horeb. Some would call this Mount Sinai. And there Moses gives this... uh, this uh, admonition to those uh, who are listening in the assembly. And what he will say to them through the, uh, through the word of God, he will say to them that you have stayed here on this mountain long enough. You have stayed here long enough. Now the words of Moses speaks to the congregation. And by the way, uh, congregation is really an Old Testament word, assembly. We today are an assembly. We are a congregation. We are a gathering together under the power of the Holy Spirit by the work of the Son to the God the Father. So there is a triune function or a triune movement in how we worship God. This is what we learned in uh, Sunday school today. And he is gathered on that mountain with the congregation and... There is a reminder of the covenant that God gave to them. Again, some have been too young to remember and not even born yet. And along the way in this wilderness, according to what we know about Hebrew culture, there would have been a reminder of the law of God. There would have been a reminder. This is why we are circling around. Because our forefathers failed to obey God. They failed to listen to the word of God and to take God at his word. So there is a reiteration of the promises of God. And this is almost like an official stance here. As God says through Moses the prophet, the time is coming where you need to get off of this mountain and to go towards where I have given you as a covenant. At this point in Israel's history, it is uh, estimated that uh, there is in this nomadic population of people, uh, millions of men, women, and children, at estimation, five to six million people wandering. Can you imagine what that would look like? Could you imagine what this looks like in this, in this valley, uh, in this wilderness of men, women, and children wandering in the wilderness? Let me ask you this. As I was reading this, uh, this command for the people 
to get off of the mountain. As I'm reading this, I'm like, well, we know the history behind how they got there, but what is the spiritual, what is the application here? As as I was reading this, I, I began to ask myself as part of the sermon preparation and thinking it through, have you ever had moments in your life when it seemed like everything goes wrong all the time? We use this expression this morning, when it rains, it pours. Have you ever had those moments? I believe we've all been to that place in our lives where it seems everything goes wrong and all the time. How about those moments in your life where it seems that there's no end in sight? Forty years is a long time. A long time for these people. A difficult concept that we have is waiting on the Lord. To wait on the Lord. Why do we wait upon the Lord? What are some ways that we wait upon the Lord? Well, an outcome of waiting upon the Lord is that He builds us and shapes us and molds us to the image of His Son. And we wait and we have patience. I believe that is one of the hardest lessons that we learn as Christ followers is waiting upon God's perfect timing, isn't it? And sometimes we speed up the process and we we mess it all up and God says, now wait on the Lord. I believe that is one of the most difficult things that we learn is the waiting waiting on God, waiting on Him in His perfect timing. And He might say, you've been here long enough. Okay, it's time. And then he might say, also, you haven't been here long enough. Stay. Meditate. Draw closer to me. And so, at this particular place, they have gone through this 40 years of testing, as, as Moses also did in the wilderness, as he spent 40 years in preparation. Now the people of Israel are in preparation, if you will, to go into the promised land. But I will tell you this, that God did not leave them. He did not leave them, nor did He forsake them. If if you would have read ahead in a Bible reading, Deuteronomy 29 and verse 5, this reminds us that even though God had sent judgment upon these people, He also sustained them and kept them. He says in verse 5 of Deuteronomy 29, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn off your feet. God kept the clothes on their back and the shoes on their feet intact. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't walked 40 years continuously in one pair. If, If I did, I would imagine. I go through a pair of shoes maybe in a year as far as working out the insides of, I can imagine walking for, for 40 years in, in one pair of shoes. And so but God protected it. God kept them safe. God molds us. He shapes us. He forms us into the image of His Son. But there is a disclaimer. Sometimes that takes time. In fact, I would say, it always takes time. And... In fact, if we were to take that a little further, it takes a lifetime. 
be shaped and molded to the image of the Son. Now, there will come a time when the Lord will say, enough is enough. You have stayed in this valley or you have stayed in this mountain long enough or the place in your life. And I think also one of the greatest dangers that we face as Christ followers is in regard to our spiritual vitality in Christ is that we get too comfortable. We get too comfortable where we are at. You you know this, that God wants you to grow. God wants you to, uh, He wants you to grow. He wants you to serve. Learning to grow in, in the knowledge of King Jesus. Growing in King Jesus is, is not exhaustible. Just like learning God's Word is, is not exhaust, exhaustible, you will not learn everything about the Word of God. But we can try. Growing in the grace and knowledge of King Jesus is not exhaustible. It will take us our whole life. And by the way, there is no Christ follower in here who has reached that pinnacle of of following Jesus. No one in here is perfect. I want you to understand that God wants His church to be on the move. He wants His church to be working and serving. And He would not have us sit still. Now there is a place for sitting still, right? Sit still, be still, be quiet and know that I am God. Right? There is a time for sitting still, stationary in our spiritual development where we are we're in this place of meditating on the Word of God and meditating upon Him day in and day out. But, but the church, the church is not to be stagnated. What I mean by that is the church... Christ will have a church that is going to be on the move and and not a stagnant institution. Now, I know that for title purposes, we are Piney Grove Incorporated. Right? But we are more than just an incorporation. We are a movement of Christ followers who are supposed to impact the world for the name of Jesus. We are to be ambassadors for Christ wherever we are at. As Jesus said, go to your Jerusalem or to your uttermost parts. For some of us, the uttermost part might be going next door because it took a lot of courage to go next door. So God would have us be on the move. It is somewhere in this valley of hills where Moses says, the Lord your God, the Lord our God said to us at Horeb, you have stayed Long enough on this mountain. Forty years of judgment was over. And this is going to sound harsh, and I don't know if many of us will leap for joy this morning, what I'm about to say. But this is going to sound harsh. But the bodies of those who disobeyed God's command to enter Canaan, who failed to do so, fallen in the desert and were left. This was the Lord's pronouncement. If you remember it in Numbers 14, this is what he said. Numbers 14, 29, he said, Your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness, and of all your number listed in the census, 
from 20 years old and upward you have, who have grumbled against me. Now, don't you know that that 19-year-old was, whew, So that would get you pumped on a Sunday morning, won't it? That should, that should get you excited on a Sunday morning? Well, it ought to. Why? Because God's grace extended where it should not have. And we are here this morning because God did not strike down the lot of them from the beginning. See, God is always faithful to His Word. He is always faithful to His covenant. And, and this was a time for them to, to move out. Now is the time for them to, to move. And, and, and God will never, He will never allow us to build permanently upon foundations that are moving. We might say move, foundations themselves that are transitory. That they're ever moving. God is not going to have us build a permanent foundation on something that is moving. And what I mean by that is time changes, traditions change, culture changes. But if there is one thing that we have learned from the shifting time, the shifting culture, the unraveling world around us, that is this. That God's word is ever true. And we might say, God has forgotten God has left me in this place. God, why haven't you heard my prayer? You have left me here in this valley, but he has not forgotten us. He is ever faithful. The Bible tells us, at least in two different places, that he will never leave us, nor will he never forsake us. You believe that? So what we know that is absolutely true is God's word as time shifts and tradition shifts and culture changes, God's word is ever true. And so we know that the Lord will direct our path. God will direct our path, our coming and our going. That is why I said at the beginning, as we worship, we worship God the Father through the work of the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because God will direct us. He says to the children of Israel at Mount Morab, turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all the neighbors in the plains or the Arabi in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Geb and by the sea coast in the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, look, behold, pay attention, look out, see, I have... Set the land before you. Go in, take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and give to them and to their offspring after them. Now, so you remember this map that I shared. And so here is the, it's the projection, the leading forward. This is where I brought you from. And this is where you were going. And if we were true uh, in following Christ and reminiscing about about who we are in Jesus, there is times when we would say, well, God, I thank you that you brought me from where I was at to where I am now. Now, I might not be what I was back then, but praise to God, praise, praise be to God that I am righteous in Jesus right now. If you're in Jesus, the righteousness of Christ is seen by God the Father 
in you now. And, and this paradigm, this, this justified and yet a sinner at the same time blows my mind. How can that be? That I am justified in the blood and the work of Christ. I'm justified and yet I am still a struggling sinner. A sinner that is now saved by the grace of Jesus. So, I know where I come from. And according to God's word, I know where I'm going. And there should be no doubt in your mind where you're going. If you're in Christ, you ought to know where you're going today. Are you going to be with Christ forever and ever or not? Now the sad truth about these verses that I just read is that they, Israel never really possessed the land the way in which God promised them. The closest the people possessed the land of Israel was under king, both kings, David and Solomon. But both would eventually fall first under the fist of Babylon, taking them into exile, and then later on by two great superpowers, by Greece and Rome. So let's put this into perspective. There has never been long-lasting peace in the land. But then again, if you were to take a globe right now, you spin that globe around, and you plop your finger on somewhere on that globe, that place has not seen true perpetual peace. Now you might say, well, how about Antarctica or the Arctic or the tundra or something like that? Well, I'm talking about where people lived and reigned and ruled. Where mankind has had their hand in ruling and reigning there's never been long-lasting peace, peace elsewhere in the world. And that's why we long for the return of Christ, the Prince of Peace. See, God swore this land to the forefathers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their offspring, but to what end? Why? Would God give this land to the people without some cosmic intention of Bringing glory to himself? Yeah, I know God is good and I know God is long-suffering. He's merciful, everlasting, he's all-knowing, all-powerful, all the omnis, right? He is immutable, doesn't change. But God did not give them this land without some intention of bringing glory to himself. So why is he giving them this land? Why is he marching them in? I will tell you that the, the purpose is for redemption. The Lord owns everything on the earth and everything in it. And he said to this people, I have made it over to you, given it to you, that you may go in, take it and possess it. The Lord had placed the land in the power of the Israelites temporarily, had given it to them to possess it and to use it according as He had sworn to His forefathers, the patriarchs, and then to give it to their seed. But it is because this seed eventually, one day, way down the road, there would be a Messiah, there would be a Savior. They would rise up 
through some of these people here on this hill in Moreb or Horeb or Sinai. Through some of these people here, Messiah would rise. The Savior would rise. Here's the beautiful truth about the passages and others is that God chose them because He is sovereign. Say, I ask you the question, why? Why did God choose Israel? Why did God choose this people? Well, the very short answer is that because He's God. Because He's sovereign. You don't need to give us an explanation. But if we were seeking an, an answer to this question, why God chose Israel, we could say, well, we know according to Israel's history that they were considered to be small amongst the nations. They were considered a small nation amongst the nations around them. And God would get the glory by raising up a Messiah through a people that were insignificant. Now we know they're not insignificant in far as because they're made in the image and likeness of God, but God would raise up a Messiah through a people who were not big on the world scene. That's simply that He is sovereign. And He chose you the same way. I'm reminded of this fact in Ephesians chapter 1. Rich verses. From verse 3 through 8 of Ephesians 1, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Even as He chose us, in Him from the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. The Lord didn't have the Lamb's book of life and saw so-and-so sin so bad that He said, Oh, His name's got to go. When your name is in the, the book of life, it was written from the foundations of the world. To what end? To be holy and blameless. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His what? Will. To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved, being Jesus. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. I love verse 8. If you haven't turned there, I challenge you to turn there before the end of the day. Ephesians 1 and verse 8 says about His grace that He has lavished it upon us. In all wisdom and insight, God has opened the floodgate of His grace. He has unleashed the dam of His grace. He has saturated us in His grace in all wisdom and insight. Somebody praise the Lord. The thing is about it, the people on Mount Sinai or Horab brought nothing to the table. We bring nothing to the table. We have no righteousness in ourselves. We have no merit in ourselves. And here on the side of Mount, the Mount of Horeb, Mount Sinai, God said that it was time to 
to mobilize, to move out. Time to move towards your inheritance, your promise, the covenant that I have given to you. As you will see in the weeks to follow, and as you have seen as we work through Genesis, as we have worked through Exodus, as we work through Leviticus and Numbers, what you will see over and over is again is that they did not follow in complete obedience. But I am grateful for God's grace through Jesus Christ. Do you remember as we were working through Leviticus and through Numbers, one of the things that kept reoccurring and will reoccur here as we look at the reiteration of the laws, and one thing that kept coming over and over again is what? Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the work of Christ. I'm glad that Christ saved me and called me from sin. He has called us from and away from sin. I'm glad the Lord didn't strike them down in the wilderness, and I'm glad God didn't strike me down when I was living in sin. If we simply take God at His word, He will direct our path. All I can say is I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of any of God's grace. And as I was reflecting upon this thought of God's grace lavished upon us, I remember the words to a song that was entitled, My Worth is Not in What I Own. And I want to share with you a few lines of this song in closing as we reflect upon God's grace and His mercy and remember where God has brought us from and the promises that lie ahead. In this song, I'm going to share four verses with you. Verses 1 and 2 says, My worth is not in what I owe, not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or names, not in who I am, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. Verse 3 and 4 says, I will not boast in wealth or might or human wisdom's fleeting light, but I will boast in knowing Christ at the cross. And here in verse 4 is this dilemma, this enigma, this tension. Two wonders here that I confess my worth And my unworthiness, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. What a wonderful reminder of God's grace. Where He's brought us from and where He has leading us and all along the way. Remembering what God has said to us. Promises kept the work of Jesus. I want you to listen carefully in closing. God does not change. He is the same yesterday. He's the same God to the people on Mount Sinai as He is today and forever. He has the same love that He had for the people on a hill there in Horeb. He's the same God, the same love that He exhibits to you today. 
See, the Lord desires for you to grow in your faith, to grow in Him, and in the name of the work of the Son of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, He has given us avenue to grow in our faith in Jesus. Let me say this. If you are going through that difficult time and the Lord might be saying, stay here a little longer, might be calling you from that, I'll offer you today, let's... Let's pray through that thing today. God will lead you. God will direct you. And most importantly, He will do it in His time. In His time. Let's, uh, let's pray together, shall we?